2: Step right up and prepare to be unsettled. You have left behind your safe reality and fallen into darkness. There is no escape and there is no reprieve. Welcome to the Simply Scary Podcast, Season 3, Episode 5. I'm Jason Hill, host of the Horror Hill Podcast, and tonight I'll be once again filling in for G.M. Danielson, who had some very important matters to attend to this evening... I'll be your guide through the twisted worlds and disturbed imagination of author Jim Harbison and Increase Mather, and for our patrons and seasoned pass holders. We offer an additional hour of terror via our production of an epic tale by Martin Hurrayhor, about a man who's discovered the horrifying truth about why we never return to the moon. So, take your seats in our theater of the mind and have your ticket ready. Take a walk down the winding, wooded trail of terror that is the Simply Scary Podcast. The show is about to begin. In our first tale tonight from Jim Harberson, starring David Tyson, we invite you to explore the dark side of the Internet and the all-too-real dangers of revenge gone viral. I give to you, Making Things
3: Click. first video was a revelation. It was like an answer to all the questions I didn't even know how to ask. It gave order through disorder. He called himself heiress. He wore a golden apple mask, a black turtleneck, and black trousers. He said it was time to bully the bullies, to take back what we'd surrendered through cowardice and complicity. Without even knowing we'd done so. I was bullied at school today. Some dudes came up
4: to me, called me queer, slapped me around. So I hit back, hard, busted the big one's nose, and now I'm ten days suspended from school. The guidance counselor said I should've found a teacher and I was like they were thrashing me and he said something canned like violence never solves problems. I said it sure works today. Now I've got mandated head shrinking and antidepressants or else I can't come back to school. Like it's my problem and if I get blurry, it'll all work out. I'm I'm tired of adults congratulating themselves for doing nothing. It's time to change things up. It's time to bully the bullies. If you think you gotta take a knife to school, you do that. If you gotta take a gun, Take a gun. If you think you gotta hit back, hit back hard. Do whatever it takes so they'll never hit you again.
3: The fee cut to point of view video of someone approaching a hulking blonde guy in a Fort Point, Wisconsin high school letter jacket. He was texting in a school parking lot. Hey Chuck. The guy looked up. There's a flick of the wrist, and a beaker of acid flies at Chuck's face. He screams like a maimed rabbit. All 6 four of them crumples to the ground, and after he rides and shrieks for about 30 seconds, the attacker kicks his hands away from his face, most of it gone. His skull is visible, his eyes dissolving in their sockets. His palms are also burned away. ...exposing tendon and bone. The video cuts back to Eris.
4: My name is Eris. Now is my time. And now
3: is yours. The video hit the tube sites big. Over 30 million views in fewer than 24 hours. What followed hit even bigger. The first hashtag golden apple video featured Sid Morris an awkward freshman of Montrose, Indiana Memorial High. Senior Donnie Mills, captain of the Montrose Marauder State Championship lacrosse team, had picked Sid to be his next target. From what I gathered, it was an unspoken school tradition permitting popular seniors free reign over ill-fated freshmen. Donnie cast Sid in hard. Chocolate swirlies, wedgies, flit lunch trays, and other petty cruelties. Montrose administrator deflected his complaints because Donnie was admittedly a goddamn magnificent midfielder. After beholding Eris' manifesto, Sid decided he wasn't going to take it anymore. Sid's video got 20 million views before getting yanked. Sid approaches Donnie from behind. Hey, Donnie. Donnie turns around. Hey,
2: loser, what's with the disrupt? I'm not supposed to hurt you till after practice.
3: Are you starting to enjoy it? Sid swings a machete. It almost goes halfway into Donnie's head. Donnie gurgles, then drops to the linoleum, shuddering. The video cuts while Sid screams at the dying Donnie. Kicking his face and abdomen. Donnie died in the ambulance. It was an epidemic of violence, glorious and unrelenting. Like what happened at Cabot Florida's Gandhi Middle School. No, the irony of the name is not lost on me. Bill Cooper was a 16 year old sixth grader and a tear to his classmates. In a game he called Yellow Surprise, He'd piss on other kids while they were showering at the locker room after gym. School administrators ignored the complaints. They feared offending Cooper's super-legitious parents who refused to acknowledge that Bill was basically retarded. Three kids approached Bill, one filming the event. He was brutish, six inches taller than all three and wearing a contemptuous expression. Hey, it's the dweeb steaks. What you want? The front kid tased him. Bill fell backwards into an empty classroom. Another kid closed and locked the door. All three doused him with lighter fluid. The second flicked a lighter and tossed it onto Bill. Bill screamed and writhed in flames. Two of the kids puked from the smell. The one holding the phone reversed the cam and smiled. Hashtag
2: golden apples. don't talk about food.
3: The best video, like so many other great things in life, featured blonde hot Texas cheerleaders. The Lakeview High Longhorn cheer squad out of Texas won national championships forever. And... Like every other ambitious adolescent enterprise, it was fought with darkness. Running it was Cheer Queen Madison Coyle, a daddy's favorite lipstick dog who publicly shamed the girls too ugly to make the team, which was almost all of them. Two rejects, Shirley Creamer and Helen Janice. Borrow one of those absurdly overpowered six-wheel super duty pickups and appealed Madison's decision. Shirley drove.
0: Helen filmed. I'm Shirley. This is Helen. And we're golden apples. Madison Coyle thinks she runs the school because everybody worships the cheerleaders. She even scotched the Down syndrome kid because it didn't fit their flawless. This is for you, Ellie!
3: The truck burst onto the field. Three and a half tons of oversized Texas justice. 80 miles per hour, right into a teddy split. Madison splattered across the windshield and into a perpetual vegetative state. Fortunately, none of her organs were left healthy enough for donation. Shirley and Helen then GTA'd the scattering survivors Helen tallied each victim with the slash and red lipstick on the windshield. They scored fifteen before the local police lit them up, thwarting the Delma and Louise they'd likely planned. Profits aren't profits unless society despises them. That's the whole point: speaking truth to power, and so predictably the powers-to-be hit back hard. Tube sites yanked the videos, and then, in a move only surprising to the people who believed the talking points, Eris emerged a few days later to repudiate himself. He appeared in another video, unmasked and speaking words that probably cost a bunch of lawyers $10,000 to write. His name was Chad Moreland some nobody from Akron who wanted a click fest. The whole thing was a joke. The video wasn't real. He'd spliced horror movie footage into his own. He figured taking it to a bully would be tube site nirvana. I didn't believe it, any of it, if for no other reason than the Golden Apple movement was too awesome to have been started by some guy named Chad. God, it was horrifying. I deeply
4: regret that my reckless prank has inspired so much tragedy. I was looking for clicks. The more hits, the better I felt about myself. I I failed to consider that some people might take me seriously. I'll regret that as long as I live. And while I can't undo the damage done, I can help prevent future harm. So I'm dedicating myself to healing our broken online culture. As part of this, I'm joining a consortium of psychologists, social workers, and concerned celebrities on a new tube channel designed to promote harmony and understanding. It's called Making Things Click.
3: We knew it was bull. We sold out of making things click barf bags on a golden apple page in a couple of hours. And we were right. Because there he was, a week later. Golden apple mask with fresh anarchy to sew. Hey, people.
4: Sorry for the service interruption. The powers that be aim so hot to lose their violence monopoly. But here I am. Me. Eris. Not Chad, what's-his-name. As an actor, the powers that be arranged to discredit our little insurrection. And I'll be damned if I'm not proud of you. I think we're really starting something here. I mean... America's a gigantic mess right now, mostly because people are afraid to do us right. The bullies and the parasites are in charge. You know, a, a, a couple days ago, this, this homeless creep started chasing me when I wouldn't give him any money. I'm like, dude, buy your own H. He's like, don't judge me, bro. Then he hit me. And I figured, you know what? These guys are a menace they've got everybody conned into thinking they're victims. That's BS. We're the victims. We, We can't have public parks anymore because they use them as toilets. We can't walk the streets without watching them shoot up. So, I decided it was time for a little public
3: hygiene. The image cut to Eris spreading peanut butter on crusty bread. He wore an apron to protect his fastidiousness.
4: The great thing about rat poison is that if you mix it with peanut butter, you can't even taste it. At least, that's what the internet said. We'll see if Hobo Harry and Vagrant Victor can tell the difference.
3: Eris united the peanut butter and jam halves, then wrapped the sandwich in a wax paper bearing the message, Jesus loves you. He then grabbed a small bag of cheese puffs from an assortment of bagged snacks. He held it before the camera. I guess beggars
4: can be choosers.
3: The video then cuts to a skit role scene, point of view of Aris brown-bagging vagabonds in various states of sobriety and or sanity. He approached one indiscreetly smoking crack.
4: Good afternoon, my dear fellow.
3: The vagrant regarded Aris skeptically.
4: Jesus and I brought you lunch.
3: The guy puts down his pipe, opens the bag, and extracts the sandwich. He devours it, then kneels over, vomiting and foaming at the mouth. (laughs) Like the bully the bullies campaign, hobo homicide hit big. After years of half measures, America was ready to abolish homelessness, golden apple style. It started in San Diego where hobo hepatitis flourishes. Three golden apple-masked teens dumpster dove a medical waste bin. I don't know why the hospital didn't burn the body parts. I thought law required it. Then again, we live in a degenerate age. The video cuts from the dumpster dive to kitchen prep. The dudes were making sandwiches. Lots of them.
2: Is that a tumor? Might be. Looks like it'll eat good, though.
3: They laughed. The cook sliced the gray vascular mass several times. He dipped a section into egg batter, then coated it with parmesan cheese and breadcrumb mixture. He repeated with the remaining sections.
2: It's like chicken parm except chicken free.
3: They laughed again. The cook dropped the breaded cutlets into an oiled pan. They sizzled.
4: It actually smells
2: kind of yummy. What, you want some?
3: The video then cuts to the cook, placing an admittedly scrumptious looking cancer slice, now bearing fresh basil atop a provolone skin onto half a sea of The camera pans back to reveal a hundred sandwiches more. The video, at last, cuts to the guys, still in mass, distributing sandwiches at a beachside homeless encampment.
2: Don't touch them! They probably have hepatitis. Hepatitis? It's hepatitis, dumbass. Well, now they have cancer, too.
3: The final shot shows a blind vagrant gleefully tugging into one of the foiled wrap sandwiches.
5: Barf if you love Jesus, you old soul!
3: A few guys in Missouri went next level. I guess flamethrowers are legal or at least readily accessible to the sufficiently motivated. There was this shanty town in East St. Louis, a warren of bums whose only redeeming function was that they ate enough rats to keep the vermin population in check. Two teens took a lift service to the entrance. They'd attach their phones to the flamethrowers so we can get a first-person shooter experience. It might just be the greatest thing to grace the internet. The hobo screen, the fire, running and dropping.
2: This is our parking lot. This is our space. Bully the bullies!
3: I think they got 20 of them before the cops intervened. It was epic. The powers that be's response was predictable and pathetic. They shuttered the tube channels, as if that ever worked before. There was an FBI task force, and Chad worked overtime online to make things click. What a douche. Like that guy was ever heiress, he made Mr. Rogers look like Duke Nukem. Things kinda climaxed when Chad went on Alma's Hour, a talk show hosted by Alma Andrews, a former social worker whose self-empowerment books and folksy style helped nobodies be okay with being nobodies. She gave away lots of merch so that the corporate sponsors looked like nourishing moms and not velociraptors. The set was soft-lit tastefully beige and pink and green like the person who designed it lived on Xanax and sugar-free milkshakes. They hugged when Chad came on stage. He sported a large lapel pin, portraying a golden apple circled and crossed out in red. They sat and chatted. It was pure kabuki.
0: Chad, what do you want to say to
4: your public? they're not
3: my public
4: I mean it was a prank
3: okay
0: I'm sorry I misspoke I
3: Chad started crying like a baby
4: I mean I was trying to bring up something people were really concerned about I mean I was bullied and I wanted to stand up to it it wasn't just about the clicks <laughs> but I did it the wrong way You can't fight violence with violence. You can only fight it with love.
3: Alma went to Chad and hugged (laughs) him.
4: Oh, God. I'll never make this right, will I? We forgive you,
0: Chad.
3: The audience stood and applauded. Barf. I mean, seriously. Barf-arama. I mean... Worse than the more you know in Hands Across America and We Are the World Combined. The next bit is my favorite part. Three of us stormed the set. There was screams. Lots of screams. We dressed just like Eris, and we had shotguns. Sorry to interrupt your regularly scheduled, comfortably numb get-together. We're the Golden Apples, and we're here to truth it out. This guy, this Chad Parker, is an actor. He's not with us. He never was. He's what the powers that be do because slavery makes them rich. I turn to Alma Andrews in this opportunistic phony? (laughs) I mean, good God, if you're super enthusiastic when she brings on the next A-list coke bench to talk about empowerment and vegan diapers, maybe you'll all get a new blender! Pulling that trigger was a religious experience. Alma and Chad splattered tasteful beige heaven. They didn't catch us, but it wouldn't matter if they had. Eris' genius was the golden apple movement. We are all Eris whenever we wanna be, particularly those jokers who hand-grenaded Black Friday shoppers in Chicago, but not so much the guys who put dynamite in matches and playgrounds across Honolulu. Those kids weren't bothering anybody. Not yet, at least. I guess... Anarchy's kind of random that way.
2: Our second story this evening from author Increase Mather... Starring Aaron Ordiver, concerns 16-year-old Martin as he and his family work to dig out a well gone dry, and in the process discover that there are much worse things to fear than dying of thirst. I give you The Drought.
0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot
5: We dug out the old well when the drought hit. 20 feet deep and bone dry since my granddad was a boy. We just never used it. Never needed to once the city put in the water lines. But this year, the spring came and went with no rain. Then the summer, then the county put a water restriction into effect and we had to do something. As farmers, we depended on the income from the corn crops. One lost season and we might not be able to recover. The corn stalks were starting to wilt and we needed that water at least another month until harvest time. It was our only shot. So one hot summer day, my dad and I got to it. I'm 16, but small for my age, so my dad lowered me into the well first. I spent the day digging and my dad hauled the bucket up every time I filled it. My little brother Petey had a plastic red bucket on a rope he would lower, so I filled that too. At six, he wasn't able to help much, but he wanted to try, bless him. Our sister May kept the lemonade coming and by mid-afternoon I had dug it another 10 feet deep. The next day we got up at dawn and went to work again, this time with some help. Corn Avery, our neighbor across the fields, had heard from his wife who talked to my mom about what we were trying to do. He sent his son Tom, who's a year older than me, to help. That day we dug another 20 feet, if you can believe it. We'd planned to stop for the day after 15, but we noticed the dirt was getting softer, damp. We knew we were getting close. We were so far down, Tom and I could only hear our breathing and the sound of our shovels. It was dark and cold down there, so far from the surface. The farther we dug, the wetter the ground got, and the faster we went. During the last five feet or so, we started hearing something like an echo around us whenever the shovels hit dirt, a hollow sound, almost like we were digging on top of an empty box. Tom struck the blade down again, and we heard the chink sound of rock underneath. Let's see if we can break this rock up, otherwise it's going to be hell to lift. We started slamming our shovel tips down as hard as we could, hoping to crack the rock so it could be moved. The rock gave way and immediately a geyser of freezing cold water spurted up, flooding the well as we were thrust upward with the blast. The well was filled with a roar of rushing water and our yells as Tom and I were torpedoed up the 50 feet to the surface. The force of the water knocking us into the sides and dragging us along the current. The last 20 feet was lined with stone and my head was cracked right into it. Everything went black. I woke to the sound of May screaming my name. Blinking, I found myself on the soaking wet ground outside the well, the hot sun warming my chilled body. Dad was bent over Tom who was bleeding real bad from his leg. He had three long, deep gashes running from his calf down to his ankle and his shoe was gone dad said we popped up like toast with me being tossed clear out of the well and tom draped over the side tom slid back in and dad had to drag him out probably cutting his leg up on the stone mom came running out and bandaged him up good between us we had a right many cuts and bruises but we had water and that was the best thing ever we started pumping it out the very next day the clear cold water soaked into the parched soil as fast as we could pump it By the time we'd soaked the fields, the stalks around the house had already perked up considerably. And it tasted good, too. So clean and icy cold, no matter how much we hauled up. That night, I was relaxing in my room, reading a book by the open window to stay cool. It was late, and I was the only one awake, I think. I must have been. As I was reading it, I sensed movement out of the corner of my eye. Looking up, I glanced out the window. Nothing out there but our yard and the cornfield. Back to my reading for a moment, then I felt it again. I caught a glimpse this time. There was a rustling outside, so I knew where to look. There among the corn stalks, movement. Whatever it was, it was big. I knew that much. The way it was pushing the stalks around, it had to be a deer or a man, and we don't have deer around these parts. Slipping away from the window, I reached for my pellet gun and turned off the light. Creeping back to the window, the moonlight was all I needed. I waited, scanning the rows of corn in the darkness, watching for movement, It was closer to the house now and moving fast. I saw the shaking stalks partway in a line headed straight for the edge of the yard. I took aim. I sent four rounds of steel pellets right at it as it emerged. There was a blur of white and a high-pitched screech as it dove back under cover. It tore its way toward the backyard where my house cast dark shadows that I couldn't see through even in the moonlight. I jumped out my window and ran after it, rifle in hand. This thing, this creature, it moved fast. I heard a loud splash and by the time I rounded the side of the house, nothing was there. Just our big open yard surrounded by the corn and the well. It was far enough behind the house not to be in the shadows and the moon cast a path of silvery light over it reflecting off the water that still came right to the top no matter how much we pumped. Carefully I crept closer to peer over the edge. There was nothing there. The water was still and dark and I couldn't see beyond the surface. I waited, rifle at the ready, but nothing happened, nothing came out. Finally I turned to go back inside. It was then that I noticed the ground all around the well was wet. I stayed up all the next night too, watching in case whatever it was came back. There were a few rustles out in the stalks, but nothing big. I shot a few pellets at any that came too close to my side of the house just to be sure. The next day was spent watering and pulling weeds. Our crops were doing really well with the water. The once-drying corn stalks had quickly turned to lush green and our tomatoes were growing at a surprisingly fast rate. Mom even picked some of the largest hand-sized green ones to fry up with dinner. Last week, those same ones had barely been an inch or two around. I asked Dad about it.
6: Well, son, the water's probably full of minerals. The way it always comes up ice cold and there's so much of it, I'd bet a dollar to ten that there's a big reservoir under there. I could easily run under the rock bed for miles, carving out natural caves and leaching all the minerals from the rocks. It's no wonder the plants love it.
5: (laughs) I guessed he was right and left it at that, but I didn't have any appetite for tomatoes at dinner. That night it was pitch dark outside. I was exhausted, so I stretched out on the bed for some rest instead of keeping a lookout. But I kept my air rifle next to me to be safe. Sometime later, I bolted upright in bed, awoken by a loud thump outside my window. I was so scared that the hairs on the back of my neck stood stiff, but my family was in this house, and I wasn't about to let anything cause them harm. Fumbling for my rifle, I crawled across the bed towards the window. Standing now, back pressed to the wall right beside the windowsill, I slowly craned my head to look out. It sounded like, like a big animal bumping the side of the house. It reminded me of a mare or a large dog how their body kind of casually knocks into things when they're moving around and distracted. Unfortunately, I'd gone to bed with the window shut tonight, so I couldn't lean out at all to see over the edge nor point my rifle. I reached for the latch. No sooner had the lock popped open than there was a loud snort and a squeal as the thing took off along the side of the house. I heard it hit the wraparound porch and run across toward the back. There was no time to bother with the window. I ran down the hall and burst through the side door onto the porch. I could see it, already running through the yard, headed for the well. Even in the dark, its pasty white skin was easy to see. The creature was fast, darting strangely on all fours as if it weren't used to moving this way. The limbs didn't move in rhythm like a normal animal running. They were clumsy and wobbly, and they didn't look like animal legs. They looked human, like arms and legs bent at weird angles. I ran after it across the porch, raising my rifle as it neared the well, when all of a sudden something was under my feet. I tripped as it got tangled in my flailing legs, and I went down hard. I heard the deep splash on my way down. The creature had gotten away again. Frustrated and bruised, I lay panting on the porch. It was cold and damp. I sat up, realizing the porch was wet. In the moonlight, I could make out a thick trail of darkness that wet the wood. The path stretched all the way to the end of the side porch where my window sat a few feet further down the side of the house. Leaning back I could see it went all the way down the other side as well, the dark splotches following the porch as it wrapped around the back. Using my arms to brace myself, I pushed up the stand. My foot grazed something and I carefully reached down into the dark to find what had tripped me. Holding it up to the light, it was a ripped up tennis shoe. That was last night. Today, Dad Petey and I were picking tomatoes together, so I finally told my dad the whole thing. I thought he'd be on my side. We'd go out to the well and drain it, see what was inside, or board it up... something. But he didn't believe me. Alright, so you saw a raccoon. That's not unusual. It wasn't a raccoon, it was really big.
6: Okay, a dog then. What you saw was probably no more than a big dog out for a midnight run
2: a dog. I
7: wonder where he lives.
5: Probably one of the neighboring farms, son. But Dad, it wasn't a dog. I tried to explain, but he just wasn't listening. Enough, son.
6: Think about what nonsense you're spouting.
5: He brushed past me, arms full with a bushel of tomatoes for Mr. Avery, who was coming over to look at the new well. It was an especially big bushel, as it was also an apology for Tom's injury. His mom had talked to my mom, who told my dad that the scratches on Tom's leg had gotten infected, and he was laid up in bed all week. But what about the well, Dad? I saw it go in the well. My dad turned and set me with a stony gaze. You watch what you're saying, son.
6: You just watch it. That well has been nothing but a blessing, a blessing we needed. We're damn sure not gonna board it up, cause some dog went for a swim, and you got spooked. You don't go shooting your air rifle at it, and you don't go making up stories. I'll not have you saying these things around your mom and the kids, getting them worked up over nothing. And you had best not say anything around corn either. His wife's already in a bad state over Tom, and they were good enough to help us when we needed it. This nonsense stops
5: now. And with that, he walked out to meet Mr. Avery's truck as he drove in.
2: I wish we had a dog.
5: It wasn't a dog. And with that, I went back inside. I stayed up all night tonight, determined to prove my dad wrong and get to the bottom of this whole mess. I didn't even bother with sitting on my bedroom window. Tonight, I was right by the front door, cracked open a bit so I could sit behind it and peek out. Sure enough, soon after the moon was out, I heard it. A rustling sound coming from somewhere outside and a heavy thump of something pulling itself onto the porch. My pellet gun was loaded. I slowly stood up and got ready. Not yet. With only a little opening in the door, it was hard to tell what direction the sounds were coming from. I had to be sure. There! A wet, gurgling hiss sounded to the left. I burst out through the door, firing shots wildly toward the sound. The thing screeched and leapt off the porch with me in hot pursuit. It galloped with its strange legs along the side of the house, pausing to look back as it cleared the corner. Standing still in the moonbeam, I had a clear shot of it, finally. But I couldn't move. I couldn't stop staring. The thing, it it was as tall as a man, thin, hairless, with slippery, fish-belly white skin. The fingers and toes were elongated, with thin membranes webbing between them. And tipped with thick claws and its face never have i seen anything so wrong it had no ears nose eyebrows not even eye sockets because it had no eyes just smooth flesh and a thin wrinkle of skin that may have been eyelids somewhere along its evolution the mouth it took up most of the face pushing the nasal slits almost to opposite sides of the head the thick, muscular ring pulsed like a suction cup over sharp, needle-like teeth that offered a wet growl before bounding around the house. The thing running snapped me out of my paralysis and I ran after it, popping rounds at it even as it dove into the cornstalks. I could still hear it rustling around, but the stalks were so thick, there was no way my simple pellets could hit. I heard a muffled sound to my left. Raising my rifle, I spun around.
2: Did you catch him, Martin? Did you get the dog?
5: My little brother Petey stood about 20 feet away in his pajamas, his dark silhouette illuminated by the small lamp shining from his open bedroom window. No, Petey! It's not safe out here! Get back inside, right! Ah. The creature leapt out of the stalks and grabbed my little brother. Petey screamed and thrashed as the monster latched its foul mouth over his neck and began dragging him backwards on all fours. No! I hurled forward as fast as I could after them into the backyard. I couldn't shoot the thing! I might hit my brother! As he called out to me, his little hands outstretched for me to save him. I chased them across the yard, the creature hissing and growling as it quickly drug Petey like a ragdoll toward the well. Out of nowhere, something slammed into my side, knocking me to the ground. It was then that I realized there were more than one of them. A wet, heavy thing pinned me down as I struggled to roll over. I kicked and yelled and struck it at anywhere I could reach as its thick, rubbery mouth latched onto my bare arm. It felt like a thousand burning needles stabbing into my skin as it bit down. I screamed and kicked, catching it at the center of its chest, dislodging it from my arm. The creature reared back on its haunches, straddling me. My blood ringed its mouth as it let out a screech of rage. Its head exploded in a shower of greasy mug. The gunshot rang in my ears as I scrambled from under the fallen corpse. The next moment my father was there, strong hands pulling me to my feet. He was yelling something at me, but I couldn't hear him. My thoughts were on Petey and the well. Dad! I pulled from his grip and stumbled toward the back of the house. I could barely stand. My arm where I was bitten had gone completely numb, with the sensation traveling down my leg as i tried to keep my balance. Petey! They got Petey! My father ran past me around the side of the house, shouting my brother's name. I heard him screaming. Two more gunshots, then nothing. I drugged myself as fast as I could around the house, shouting for Petey, my dad, my mom, anyone to hear me. As I stumbled around the corner, I saw something that will haunt me more than anything I have seen or experienced tonight, or will ever experience for the rest of my life, God willing that I had live long enough. Two forms lay together in the grass, one of the creatures blown apart by a shotgun blast, and my father, his throat torn open. On the edge of the well lay my poor brother. He'd stopped screaming now and hung limp, staring ahead at nothing as he was pulled the rest of the way underwater. I collapsed on the ground, crying. I had no more energy. No more fight inside of me. I just couldn't bear it. Little Petey, my dad, I wanted to just lay there and let the creatures take me. I deserved as much. If I'd just shut my mouth around Petey or made my dad stay up with me to see the creatures before they became so bold... Suddenly, my thoughts were broken by the sound of more screaming. My mom, my sister May, they were screaming and calling my name, begging me to get up. I raised my head and struggled to my knees. They were standing, huddled together in their nightgowns, looks of complete horror on their dear faces, except they weren't looking at me or the body of my dad. They were staring towards the cornfield. The cold numbness had completely taken over my left arm and leg, but I crawled forward dragging the lifeless limbs. I called to them, and soon they were at my sides, pulling me up. I stared into my mom's wide-eyed, panic-stricken face. We have to get to the truck. As they drug me along, I could see ripples of water coming up from the well. Hurry! I willed myself to move faster. My mother kept looking over at the cornfields. My vision was starting to blur. But I stared hard and eventually made out the shape of another of the creatures, crouched just behind the first stalks. It was about half the size of the others, and even though it growled and hissed, seemed unwilling to attack without them. We made it to the truck. My mom got in first, pulling me across the passenger side as she took the wheel. My sister slid in beside me. The engine revved, tires squealed and kicked up gravel as we tore down our driveway, headed for the main road. We lived so far out of town. With what gas we had left in the tank, everyone in shock, and my wounds still bleeding out, I don't blame my mom for what she did. Not at all. Instead of trying to make it to the town, she pulled the truck into the nearest farm over, about five miles from our house. The Averys. We sped up the driveway, mom laying on the horn the whole way. It's the middle of the night, but by the time we screeched to a halt right at their front porch, the lights are on in the house and Mr. Avery is at the door looking out. We must have looked like we felt, because he immediately moved aside to let us in. Slamming and locking the door behind us, they helped me into a chair by the front window as Mr. Avery tried to work out what was wrong with us. We all started talking and shouting at once, desperate to be heard. They came out. Those things! Dad, Petey. A reservoir underneath this whole area. Caves. Caves. The well. They came up from the well. Mr. Avery and his wife stared at me everything gone silent.
6: Did, 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 did you say the well, boy?
5: Mr. Avery stammered as he staggered forward, looking past me out the window. I struggled to turn in my seat to see where he was looking. Out in the yard, there was a huge mound of earth right next to their freshly dug well. The woman gasped and screamed, but I could only stare as a pale, clawed hand reached over the edge. One thing I'll give Mr. Avery credit for is, he doesn't waste time. Me, I had to be curious, had to go investigate. But him, he saw that thing crawling up out of the well and he took charge. I think that's what saved us. Mouth, to the back. As he shouted, he looped my paralyzed arm over his neck and lifted me up. We all ran to the back room of the house, Tom's room. Corn tossed me in an overstuffed chair next to Tom's bed in the corner. Then he went to work immediately securing the door. The shock, the blood loss, everything caught up to me and my head began to swim. I turned to look at Tom as I blacked out, how he lay there with his eyes closed and mouth hung open wide, breathing heavily. He was so pale and all his hair had fallen out. That was an hour or so ago. I'm awake now, writing this. My wounds are bandaged by Miss Avery and the numbing cold finally seeping out of my system. It hurts to move, the whole side of my body racked with intense pins and needles sensation. You see, they were productive while I was unconscious. The windows have been boarded up, and there's a pile of canned food and bottles of water stacked on the floor. The door is barricaded with a bookshelf, and Mr. Avery leans against it. Miss Avery, my mom, and May sit huddled together on the rug, crying softly. Outside, I can hear the creatures, scratching, hissing, slamming themselves against the windows, It won't be long before they get inside the house. Over in the corner, Tom's starting to growl.
7: (laughs) Thank you for joining us tonight for the Simply Scary Podcast. If you like what you've heard, and would like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's episode which includes two more terrifying tales. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself on Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, where you can sign up for a season pass and get access to all 24 ad-free extended episodes from this season or sign up as a patron for just five dollars per month and get access to not just this program but our network's audio archive of hundreds of previous releases including premium versions of our other shows such as horror hill and scary stories told in the dark (laughs) not only that but you'll be lending your support to this very program And help us continue bringing nightmares to life, each and every week. Thank you for your support.
2: This is Jason Hill, thanking you for joining us once again for tonight's celebration of the sinister. Don't forget to join us again next week, when we once again dive deep into the minds of the most unsettling authors and breathe life into the most unholy of horrors. In this, our theater of the mind. And, if you just can't wait till then, I invite you to check out my show, The Horror Hill Podcast, at simplyscarypodcast.com. I guarantee you won't be disappointed. Until next week. If your lights suddenly go out and you find yourself chilled to the bone, looking over your shoulder, there's no need to run for cover. You may just be experiencing the simply scary podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thanks for listening. I'm Steve Taylor and you've been listening to the Simply Scary podcast, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's episode was written by Craig Roshek and performed by special guests Jason Hill, host of the Horror Hill Podcast, and Otis Gyre, host of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com today to support this program by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to premium extended versions of our episodes, our audio archive, and ad-free downloads of all of your favorite stories, including those you've heard today. The host of the Simply Scary podcast is GM Danielson. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music for the program was produced by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering are overseen by executive producer and director Craig Groshek, with production of individual stories by members of our talented sound design team artwork for the show's episodes by david romero for more information about the authors performers and artists involved in the production of this and our other episodes visit our website today got a scary story of your own that you'd like performed we take submissions email it to us today at submissions at simply to have your terrifying tale considered for production in a future episode of this show if you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to us. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and our other programs. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, Hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon to get more spooky tales from us and another episode of this program each and every Tuesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button and tell us how we're doing and leave a comment. Until next week, listeners, turn off the lights and turn on the dark.